Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Will you please stand? Stand with me. Stand with me. Just a quick announcement as we enter into worship with chapel today. Um, Wally is going to be having the Messiah on Saturday at 7 p.m. here. Uh, You can come to that, support your classmates and community members who are part of it. You'll get chapel credit, too, for those of you guys who need that. So be mindful of that. Summer ministry applications were due on Monday, but we're extending the deadline. So if you're still interested in summer men, fill it out, get it to us. Um, no worries about that. Our speaker for this morning is uh, Pastor Matt Thomas. I'm going to read a quick bio. I'm going to make it fast because many of you guys know him. But Pastor Matt began serving as an associate pastor at Bethel in September 2003. He graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Religion from ENC in 2005 with a Master of Arts in Pastoral Ministry from Northwest Nazarene University in 2010. Pastor Matt was also ordained as an elder in the Church of the Nazarene in 2010. He married the love of his life, Aisha, on July 11, 2009. <laughs> and together they serve as the New England District NYI Teen Camp Directors. In addition, they also support Nazarene Compassionate Ministries by serving on the board at South Shore Friends of the Homeless and the Sanger Sanger for Compassion. And in March 2015, Pastor Matt was voted in as Bethel's lead pastor. (laughs) Matt loves a good cup of coffee, fishing, reading, water aerobics, traveling, and riding his bicycle. Pastor Matt is passionate about liturgy, the sacraments, retreating, and prayer. Can we welcome him one more time? Uh, And one more very last quick announcement before we pray. Um, as many of you guys have known and seen, like Jenny Williams, our associate chaplain, has not been with us. She's usually up here giving the announcements and welcoming us into worship. Uh, and the reason for that is because Jenny and Montague recently welcomed. Yes. This is Sophia Lilaudi Joy Williams. She was born on November, uh, November 23rd, and mom and baby are doing well. And uh, yeah, send Jenny a note, send her an email, you know, just say congratulations, we love you, we miss you, she misses all of you guys, of course, and Montague is around on campus, so make sure to congratulate him as well. All right, let's enter into worship together, pray with me. Father and God, I thank you for this time, I thank you for um, your will for our lives. And Lord, as the semester is coming to a close, there are so many things that are going on. I just thank you for opportunities like this where we can gather in your presence and take a respite from that. And so Lord, I pray that this would be exactly that. Help us to experience you in worship, Lord, as we sing songs and offer prayers. And help us to hear your word and be transformed in ways, dear God, that we do not expect. And so we thank you for this moment. And we ask that your spirit would use this chapel team and that it would use Pastor Matt as he speaks the word. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, 
Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Good morning. I'm excited to be here, and I thank the worship team for bringing us into the presence of God, and Josh for coming up and sharing the word with us. And I just want you to remember Josh, because we're going to come back to Josh in a few moments. But before we begin that, this past Sunday marked the beginning of a new cycle in the church year, a new cycle called Advent. Advent is a time in which we begin preparing for Christmas. The word Advent comes from the Latin word meaning coming. You see, Advent symbolizes the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And for the Christian community, we think of this in three different ways, in the past, in the present, and in the future. Advent reminds us to celebrate Christ's coming in the past. It pushes us to invite Christ to meet us in the present, and it challenges us to await in hope Christ's return, where every tear will be wiped away and where all things will be made new in the future. Advent reminds us that God is at work among us, even when we don't necessarily see it. That's why we can sing, it is well with my soul. And in this reading out of the Gospel of John, Jesus seems to be reminding his disciples this exact same thing. That God is at work, even when they do not see it. He begins, do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, but also trust in me. For in my Father's house there are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you, Jesus says. And aside from this being a good text for children's church, something else is going on. And Thomas interrupts him because Jesus says, you know the place that I'm going. And Thomas says, no, we don't. We actually have no idea where you're, where you're going. What are you talking about, Jesus? I can imagine Thomas is thinking, Jesus, why are you always speaking so cryptically? Could you give us a hint? Could you tell us what in the heck you're talking about? And Jesus responds, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know, you do know him and have seen him. You see, what exactly was Jesus getting at here? When our hearts are troubled, when we do not know where we are going, Jesus is the way. 
when we are seeking, when we are grappling with the troubles of this world, Jesus is the truth. And when we are feeling like we're just plodding through life, merely existing day by day, Jesus is the life. Christ is the way we are to follow, the truth we are to believe, and the life that we are to hope for. For Christ is the way. We live in a world that encourages us to live in certain ways. And many of these ways oppose the way that Jesus calls us to live. For our world glorifies greed, lust, power, privilege, and individualism. Our system is set up to oppress individuals who we may never know or see. And yet Christ is calling us. Christ is calling you and me to live a radically different way. For Christianity is not based on what we can get, but on what we can give. Christianity is based on loving one another, on journeying together as a community, recognizing that no one individual can do it alone. If you are trying to follow Christ in isolation, you are failing. Think about the early church. They would sell their possessions and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. They spent time worshiping, eating, fellowship, being in one another's presence. This is the way that Jesus calls us to live. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus doesn't just say, I am the way. He says, I am the way, the truth. See, Jesus doesn't just reveal truth. Jesus is the truth. Or to put it differently, Jesus not only teaches people about God, but he addresses people directly because he is God. John 1 says that Jesus is the word made flesh. God became human. God came to this earth to experience our experiences. This is what we celebrate with Christmas. Jesus went through the same daily struggles that we go through. Jesus felt suffering, abandonment, and hurt just like you and me. And yet Jesus still chose to love. No matter what situation came before him, Christ still modeled the life that we are to live. For Jesus is the truth. No matter what happens, he continued to journey with his followers. No matter what happened. He knew that they were going to turn their back on him. He knew that they were going to abandon him in his time of need, but he refused to give up on them. Jesus is the way. He's the truth, but he's also the life. For Jesus is the life that we are to live. Jesus believed that we actually have the capacity to live the way that he lived. And so after Jesus told them that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and if they'd seen him, they'd seen the Father... I love Philip's response. He says, could you just show us the Father, Jesus? I mean, it's good to see you and all, but it would be really helpful if we could see the Father. And Jesus responded, if you have seen me, you have seen God. You see, culturally, they understood God in earthquakes, famines, floods, and other natural disasters. Even in our cultures today, we refer to these as acts of God. But Jesus would disagree. He would say that if we've seen him, We've seen all we need to see about God. He would say that if we've seen him in healing, in acts of mercy, in proclaiming the kingdom, in dying and suffering, in promising to bring us home, then we have seen God. And that is all we need. 
He says that we must believe that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him. Jesus said, believe in me. Believe in me might be a little bit better translated as trust in me. For we often think of belief as a cognitive exercise. It's something that we mentally choose with our minds, but this passage is about trusting in the context of a relationship with God. It's about saying, it is well with my soul, even when dark doubts assail us. We are saved by faith, but it is not by our intellectual ability, but our relationship with God. And later on, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will do the works that I do and will, in fact, do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. This verse is crazy. Can we, the church, actually do greater works than Christ? What in the world was he talking about? This is a promise. This is a charge. This is a response How in the world can we do greater works than Christ? Is this even possible? Well, it is possible. It's possible because it's about trusting in Jesus, because he first trusts in us. It's a mutual relationship. Jesus trusts us to continue to be who he is in the world. I cannot do it in my own strength. You cannot do it in your own strength, but we can do it together. The Christian community, the church can accomplish these things. It's an affirmation of mutual trust when Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Therefore, we are in the Father and the Father is in us. Therefore, God trusts us, you and me, this broken, messed up church to be Jesus' presence in the world. That's what's up. We, broken, flawed, vulnerable, messed up people, living out the life of Jesus in the world? In the Gospel of John, Jesus gives his followers glimpses as to who he was by using I am sayings. We hear I am the bread of life. We hear I am the light of the world. We hear I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. People have debated over the years what these statements actually mean, what Jesus was trying to say. Many link these I am statements with the burning bush account in Exodus. Many of us have heard this story. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, and God tells Moses that he has heard the cries of the slaves in Egypt. And that they would no longer need to be slaves. And then God lets Moses know that God has called him to deliver the people out of slavery. Moses responds by asking, who should I tell them sent me? And God responds, I am. And there have continued to be numerous debates as to what this means. And many have come to the conclusion that this is not a statement claiming to be the ultimate reality. Because that would have had little meaning for the Israelites in their world. But it was a statement about God's character in terms of what God was about to do for the people. In other words, God, who God is, would not be known by a specific name, but would be known by what God was about to do in human history. And of course, the definition of God unfolds in the events of the Exodus itself. God would forever be identified 
not as a God with a name or a God of being, but a God of doing, a God of delivering, a God who hears the cries of the slaves in Egypt. This is a God who first heard the cries and then responded by delivering them from slavery. And so what does this mean for Jesus using these I am sayings in the Gospel of John? In effect, John was using these sayings to reveal that the same God who was at work bringing the Israelites out of slavery is the same God who's at work revealing God's self in the life of Christ. And Jesus takes it a bit further. He says that we are to believe in this same God, that we are to trust in the same God who trusts us, you and me, the community of faith, to live out this life of Jesus in the world. Therefore, Jesus is not just the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. We are. We are to be God's presence at work in the world. Jesus tells his disciples that they are going to do greater works than him. We are to be God's presence in the world. And yet these works for the disciples are going to get harder. The work of trusting in Jesus will become much more difficult for them. For how can these disciples continue to trust in Jesus the Messiah when he is dragged off to the courts, condemned by the rulers, mocked by the onlookers, whipped within an inch of his life, and nailed to a cross for all to see? This is why the disciples needed one another. This is why the church is a community and not a group of individuals. This is why we need one another. Following Jesus is hard work. It involves surrendering our whole selves. It involves how we spend our time. It involves how we spend our resources. It involves laying down our lives for the sake of others. Following Jesus is hard work. Many Christians choose not to follow Jesus, but to admire him from a distance. Following Jesus means we lay down our lives, and we go where he leads us to go. But you can admire without laying anything down. I mean, you can admire from a distance, right? You can watch and admire and fill your life with sentimentality and even sing and say, oh, I love you, Jesus. You're the greatest person in the world. Hallelujah. But actually following is difficult work. Are you an admirer or a follower? We can admire in isolation, right? We can admire by ourselves, but we cannot follow in isolation. For it takes the community in order for us to follow. For we need nudges and accountability from one another in order to do that. We need support. When I originally got asked to speak in chapel, I got an email from Jenny. And uh, she said that the theme for chapel this semester is one accord. And you know, maybe that's been talked about some, 
maybe not. But I think that ties in with this. For we are in one accord. The unity in the body of Christ is essential. We must be united. We need support, accountability, and encouragement from one another. We cannot be isolated. We cannot do it alone. We need one another. I'll give you an example of that. A few summers ago, I spoke at Maine District Senior High Camp, and I got to hang out with, with a couple individuals from ESC who were in the summer ministry team. Now, the campground that they stayed in, if you're from Maine and you was at that camp, sorry, it was a little weak. Um, but one of the things that Maine Teen Camp did, which was awesome, was they did these like day trips to these different locations, right? And so one day we took a trip to Funtown Amusement Park in Saco, Maine. Anybody know about Funtown? Wow, like six of you. That's awesome. <laughs> it was more like 12, but I let it go. So we went to Funtown, Maine, and I like amusement parks. But when it really comes to amusement parks, my favorite thing is water rides, right? Upon arriving, I noticed that there was a log flume. Y'all know what a log flume is? I got some smiles. It's like this jig, big, giant, plasticky, metally log thing that you get in, and you go around these curves and up a little hill and down, up a giant hill, and you fly down. Everyone with me? Log flume. I love log flumes. They're like one of my favorite things. So I decided, as soon as I got there, I was like, I'm going on that log flume. No matter what happens, that's what I'm doing. But there's two seats in the log flume. So I was like, who, who should I go with? I was like, oh, that's Josh. He was on the summer ministry team. I'm like, we'll do it. So we go ahead and get in the log flume. Josh sits in the front, and I sit in the back. And as you can imagine, there's a significant weight differential between Josh and myself. Right? So we start going the path that's before us. And the path sends us to the right, and we veer to the right. It's awesome. Then the path sends us to the left, and we veer to the left. And then we go up a little hill and down, and this is the coolest thing in the world. We are on the log flume. We are going. This is amazing. Everybody with me? So we're going on the log flume. Go to the right, veer to the right. Go to the left, veer to the left. The path went up and down, and we went up and down. And eventually, we came to it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The pinnacle of all creation. The giant hill. The summation of the ride. We looked up and saw like 80 feet above us. It might have been more like 30, but it felt like 80. <laughs> and as we came up to the hill... The gears locked onto the giant plasticky metally log thing and began pulling us up the hill like a conveyor belt. Once again, Josh was in the front, I was in the back. Remember that, it's important. So the conveyor belt starts to pull us up the hill, but there's something called gravity that made something else happen. And there's actually a monument to gravity right out there, if you don't know. So we start to go up the hill, and gravity caused us to slide back. And we're like... <laughs> I look at Josh. Josh turned around. I'm like, dude, what's happening? He's like, I don't know. So then it starts to pull us up again. And we slide back. <laughs> starts to pull us up again. And we slide back. And we're like, this is bad. 
what in the world is going on? Right? So we start to reach out to try to pull ourselves up. Right? <laughs> and we're not going anywhere. We're completely stuck. And then we started panicking. I mean, we couldn't move alone. We could not continue this path of this ride. And we started thinking, hey, we screwed up the ride. Everyone's going to have to get off. The ride's going to be closed. They're going to make us get off, and we're going to have to do the walk of shame. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, it was us. We're the ones who ruined the ride. We took the fun out of fun town. It was actually sad, too, because we had some friends on the other side of the hill who was recording, and they're like, what happened? (laughs) They're like, the last log came down like a half hour ago. Where are these guys at? They began wondering what was taking so long. So we messed it all up. But just then, out of the corner of my vision, I noticed this. Another giant, plasticky, metally log thing approaching us. That's right. (laughs) So we panicked even more. We started pulling some more, and it still didn't go. It was coming fast, and it was going to hit us. And so we braced ourselves for collision. I think I did this. I think Josh did this. And that giant, plasticky, metally log thing drilled into us, catapulting us up onto the hill. And we started going (laughs) with our sister log inches behind us. We were worried that when we came down, it was going to crash into us and we were all going to die. But it didn't happen. So that was a good thing. We finished the ride without any hangups. You see, Josh and I were stuck, and we needed a nudge from someone else on the journey. Someone else who was going the same way that we were going. Someone else who was going the same path in which we were going. We needed to push. We needed to move forward. And following Christ is the same way. This is why we need one another. We need pushes. We need encouragement. We need nudges. We need accountability. We need support. It is my belief that each individual in the Christian community should be mentored by someone else and mentoring someone else. Who is pouring their life into you and asking difficult questions? Who is holding you accountable? Who is discipling you? And who are you pouring your life into? Who are you holding accountable? Who are you discipling? We have a college campus full of people who are counting on us to show them the way of Jesus. Counting on us to crash into them when they're stuck. Offering instruction, guidance, accountability, and support. Following the way of Jesus cannot be done in isolation. For Peter reminds many of these same disciples that they are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and that they are the people of God. And we are reminded this today as well, that we are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. For this is the truth of Advent. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. This is the way, the truth, and the life. The best way to trust God is in the context of community. One of my dear friends, Pastor Marco DeBero, spoke in chapel earlier this semester. And when Marco and I were at ENC, we formed an accountability relationship with one another. We would sit in his room in Second Memorial, and we would confess the sins that we had committed since the last time we gathered. We would share with one another how we had been tempted. We shared lives together. We broke bread together. We shared our burdens with one another. And as fairly new Christians, we learn to trust God by trusting in one another. We learned a very valuable lesson that you cannot follow Christ alone. That it must be done in community. Because when we follow Christ alone, we get stuck. Life hurts, but God heals. Situations can overwhelm and complex us, but we are not alone. There's an old hymn that's called, Trust Him When Thy Once Are Many. The words go like this, Trust Him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust Him when thy strength is small. Trust Him when to simply trust seems the hardest thing of all. Sometimes trusting is hard. Sometimes we can become overwhelmed by the situations of life. And this is where you and I need one another. The church is not just a group of isolated individuals. But the church is the community of faith, set apart following the way of Jesus in the world, believing the truth of Jesus and living out the life of Jesus And he tells his disciples, you will do greater things than I have even done. But he doesn't say, you individually will do greater things than I have done. But he says, you, plural. I grew up in Virginia, we would say y'all. Y'all will do greater things than I have done. Imagine with me. If a group of believers came together, laid down their lives, loved one another with everything they had, and engaged the world with the love and the hope of Christ, imagine the difference that that would make. We are not alone. Would you pray with me this morning? Gracious and almighty God, Your love for us is even more than we can comprehend. 
For God, your word says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, you love us more than we can even imagine. God, you trust us to be your light, to be your hope, to be your love, to be your presence in the world. God, you believe in us more than we even believe in ourselves. God, help us. Help us to respond to that trust that you have in us with just a little bit of trust in you. Help us to know, oh God, when situations come that confuse and overwhelm us, God, that we are not alone. Help us to turn to sisters and brothers in Christ when we are stuck. And help us, oh God, to look for sisters and brothers in Christ who are stuck, who may need gentle nudges and support. God, you have trusted in us. You believe in us. Help us, oh God, to return that trust. Help us to return that belief. Help us to return that love, that hope, that grace toward you. And as we do so, oh God, would you transform our very way of being so that we as the community of faith, as the people of God here at Eastern Nazarene College, would live out the gospel each and every day. God, would this section of Quincy, would Wollaston have so much more light because of this campus? We love you. We praise you. We thank you for the time together this day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been good being with you guys today. As you go out, this morning. Do it. Live out the life. Love one another with reckless abandonment. Be who God desires you to be. And may God Almighty, the all-powerful creator of the universe, work in and through you for God's glory alone. You are dismissed.